Welcome back to another episode of Adam's Corner. It's that time of the month where we take a look at the Blu-ray and 4K releases from the previous month. In this case, that would be September 2023. And I'm joined on this episode by another movie enthusiast, collector of physical media, and that would be my son, Nicholas Long. He's joining me this time last month. We had Paige Schechter, Flings, and uh, my son has uh, graciously accepted my invite to be a guest on the show. And we do this normally uh, about every week, I would say. We talk about what we've picked up and what we've seen and what we want to get and all the latest news. So I thought this would be a good, great opportunity for us to banter it up on the show because I have to do these shows once a month as a public service, I guess you would say, and I'm glad to do them. And so anyway, I'll get you to tell us a little bit about uh, when the buying bug bit you as far <laughs> as the uh, physical media goes. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me, of course. Um, yeah, we pretty much do our, you know, weekly phone calls since I'm in college and we basically, I mean, kind of go through a mini Blu-ray show every week talking about, you know, what I've picked up, like you said, what what I've seen um, and vice versa. Um, obviously, you know, for those out there being the son of Adam, um, I, I've kind of had the, the pop culture bug bite me uh, in a sense, too. So I've always, you know, enjoyed film and, you know, watch movies with my dad for the entertainment quality um, and aspect. But since I've been in college, I've kind of more gravitated towards the like art side of things and just the critical analysis piece of it as well. And in terms of collecting physical media, that's kind of taken off, I guess, in the past year since about November of last year, I think. I think the first thing I bought was um, uh, that I remember like in terms of not being younger because I know I was like interested in like James Bond and stuff like that, the DVD box sets. I don't know if I bought one of those in my own money, but in terms of like picking it up full scene here, um, I think it was They Live, John Carpenter on 4K. Um, but that was about last November. It was a cool looking still book. It was a Screen Factory still book, I believe. And I like the artwork and I love the movie. So, um, and obviously you've talked about 4K and I, I obviously knew 4K was better than Blu-ray, but I never like had you know, really dug into it myself, but since then I've kind of gone down a rabbit hole of watching YouTubers, you know, just listening to your interviews and your other friends' interviews and just people in the circle and the film community in general and kind of just, you know, personally I try to set out every every month and just like mark down what releases are <clears throat> of interest to me and uh, I try to pick up, I, obviously I'm in, I'm in school, like I said, so I don't buy a ton of them. I don't, you know, I don't get review copies like you, but I try to pick up what's <laughs> interested me and pick up some older titles as well. So um only been going strong for about a year, but yeah, I think that kind of sets the stage for where I'm at in my um, physical media journey. I think you've done pretty well. Uh, the, the, uh, the collection you have is very diverse, I would say, and I'm, I'm quite proud of uh, you. And you've actually uh, recommended a few things to me and have picked up a couple of things that, that um, on your own that I was probably would have been interested in getting myself or just did not have or wanted to see or whatever. So uh, yeah, there's, there's all that too. So um, yeah, it's always a, it's always a joy to, uh, to chat about uh, what we've picked up or what we're excited about. And 
and uh, all of that stuff. And when you come for a visit, we always try to uh, share some of these that I've received or either purchased. And uh, that's, um, uh, this past month was no uh, different from any of the others. Of course, we got to share a couple of these that I watched for the first time in their upgraded formats. And But, uh, but I guess before we go any farther, we can talk about the big news of the day, which is uh, the the Best Buy, the news from Best Buy that they're not going to be carrying physical media anymore, which is, uh, and not just in the stores, but online as well, mm-hmm. which yeah. means you can't get your blue, uh, your, uh, your Best Buy Steelbook collectibles as you've been in the past. And so I guess they're saying now that maybe Paramount is going to be doing Maybe Amazon's going to be doing some of those collectible steel books now. Maybe Paramount's moving their collectible, uh, like the uh, the Sleepy Hollow, which you picked up recently. That was a Paramount title that was exclusively yeah, it was on at, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah. So I'll let you give us your thoughts on. Yeah. This so. Yeah, it's October twelfth, and they, I just saw this news like a couple hours ago. Um, it dropped from the digital bits. Um, but from what I've seen, Best Buy themselves have not said anything, but obviously um, the digital bits is pretty reputable and this sort of thing. So, uh, And they say they have multiple sources. So I, I, I believe it's pretty true. Um, and it makes sense with, you know, just the market dwindling and, you know, less people being interested in physical media and more people being interested in streaming. Um, I mean, personally, for me, it's disappointing because. You know, I, like I said, I just kind of got into the physical media game like in the past year, not not even the full year yet, almost 11 months now. But um, I, I I have three Best Buys around me uh, within probably about a 30 minute driving range, uh, which I'm lucky. Um, but only one of them has physical media now. So they're already they were already, you know, kind of shrinking their stock and whatnot. Um and, you know, like I said, it's disappointing. I, I, I try to go like once a month and just like this past Tuesday, I went and I, I picked up a Rosemary's Baby um, on 4K and was just I just like, you know, browsing the shelves. And I think that's like part of the experience, just being able to like see what's new, see what deals there are. You know, there's always new stuff, ro- stuff. Well, they don't rotate a whole lot anymore, but there is stuff rotating. And if you go about once a month, it's it's a decent amount of rotation to where you can get some enjoyment out of it. So. And since I am a new collector and I, I don't have near as much as you in my collection. So um, for me, you know, I, I still like going out and, you know, going to the stores and, you know, seeing what old Blu-rays are available as well. So um, like I said, definitely disheartening. And I know Target also is like, I'm not sure if they're completely phasing out physical media or if it's just they've greatly reduced their capacity. Um, but there was a whole lot of stuff around them as well a couple months ago, I think, or last month or something. Um, so it looks like Walmart is the last bastion of physical media, um, and they're pretty much a DVD-only business, so not that great for collectors, but yeah. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to that. Well, it's just very sad. It really is. I, I mean, you know, I can remember even, you know, when the DVD format first broke through in 97, we didn't have a Best Buy in my area, but, uh, we got one the next year, and one of my 
most exciting times of the week was on Tuesdays when they'd get their new releases in. And so I can just remember on Tuesdays they'd have them all lined up on the shelves. And I worked for Best Buy for a time. And so I actually could see what was going to be put out on the shelves a couple of days before, sometimes a week or two before they, the actual street date. We weren't able to – there were a couple of times I think I was able to get something early. I was able to get them to let me – purchase it earlier or something, but I, I forget how that worked. But there were a couple times, I think, I think when the Superman box set came out on DVD for the first time, because that was a pretty big deal. And I believe when the Oliver Stone collection came out, there was a Warner Brothers box set of Oliver Stone films from the, uh, the stuff he had done up to, I think, uh, that football movie he did in 1999. And so I remember getting excited about that because it had the longer cut of Nixon, which had never been seen before. Unfortunately, the quality on that wasn't very good because they just took the deleted scenes and just stuck them in the uh, original theatrical cut. And the quality did not match at all. But luckily, that was uh, they rectified that years later when they did the Blu-ray release. Uh, Disney, of all people, released a. And uh, I think it was an election year edition of Nixon on Blu-ray in 2008. If you can imagine the Walt Disney Company putting out Oliver Stone's Nixon. But they did. And uh, they did a great job. They really did. They they integrated that footage, restored it, and did a, a seamless director's cut of that. So, yeah, I remember just, just pleasant memories of uh, movies coming into the store. And sometimes I'd only get one or two copies of something, and it might be something that – and I got my discount, of course, and – but sometimes you'd find something that was just, you know, they knew it wasn't going to be a huge seller. I remember them getting uh, the De Palma titles when they first came out to Phantom of the Paradise and The Fury. They actually had those. Uh, they didn't have too many of them, of course, uh, but, uh, you know, they had a few of them. So uh, that was, uh, like I said, it was it's um, it's really sad to uh, to think about them not carrying those anymore, uh, physical media. That's just it's, it's really it gives you pause for thought, but, you know, it's the way of the world. Life moves on and nothing stays the same. And so we're in the transition. The entertainment business in general is in a transitional phase, I believe. So, uh, you know, so it's but, well, you know, I do think it's kind of sad. They're leaving money on the table. A lot of these uh, companies like Disney has been talked about greatly. And, of course, they're they are. You know, there's there's a lot of money to be there. There is it's not a huge amount, but it's some money to be made from the physical discs, and they're just leaving it on the table. But I think Disney's they've gotten the memo on that, I believe. And uh, we're hearing hearing rumors that the Abyss and True Lies are going to be coming out later this year, but time nothing official yet. But uh, we're, we're hoping so. Uh, so you know, but yeah, it's it's um it's a somber piece of news to to receive, nevertheless. So. Well, it says until at least the end of uh, quarter one, so 2024. So there's at least about six months left. Yep. So yep. Just uh, there's there are a few months. Enough, and, yeah. To take it in while it lasts. Yeah. And I wonder what they're going to do with the stock that they have. If they're going to be liquidating it or just sending it back to the distributors <laughs> or yeah, discounts. That's, I mean, I'm always, you know, Would be for nice. a good sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, time will tell, I guess. 
Well, uh, I guess we should move on to these uh, releases, as it were, and we'll talk about them uh, really quickly. I typically will go through the Kino releases, just go ahead and get those out of the way, because there's usually so many of them, and I usually just go go through them all. And the rest of them, I typically will go through the calendar. uh, But Kino, there's usually just a lot, and I just get those done first. And But September was a little bit of a lean month for Kino. There were only... I'm thinking seven releases, maybe. No, there's about eight here, but still, that's a little bit lean because usually they're they're double that amount. But uh, two of them I um, had requested and received, and one of them was uh, the first time. This was a 1969 film that I had stars Jacqueline Bissett, which was a a boyhood crush, I might add. And so I thought, well, you know, it's a it's basically about three teenage buddies who meet the woman of the wildest fantasies, and um, they think she's a hooker, basically. They meet her in um, uh, Niagara Falls, of all things, and they think she's a uh, – and she's a – I think she's an American who's lost her passport, and they have to help her get across the Canadian border. It's some such as that. Uh, not really well-reviewed. Uh, the reviews are pretty bad on this. I think Roger Ebert gave it one star or something, and – um, I was curious because the Jacqueline Bissett factor, I must admit, and she is stunning in it as she typically w- was in uh, around that period of her career. But uh, not a good film, I must admit. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's, the it was. Uh, yeah, it, it was. The dialogue was really, really uh, kind of kind of um, second rate to say the least. It was co-written by Joe Hines, who wrote Play Misty for me uh, for Clint Eastwood a couple of years later, so that that was in a curio, too, but uh, the transfer was really good. Uh, there's nothing here but a theatrical trailer, but the first time was, was interesting, um, uh, it, but, and I had actually never heard of it before uh, this release, so, but yeah, you know, one of our uh, we're always uh, uh, the uh, Let's Get Physical Media podcast, uh, rather YouTube uh, show that they do every Sunday. There, uh, the uh, the host of that is always talking about. He wonders what the Kino business model is, and uh, with a title like that, it does make me wonder as well. But <laughs> I'm so sure. glad I'm so glad they're putting them out there. Though I'm, I'm glad they're putting. And you know, it's a movie that I probably would have never seen. I would live entire life and have never seen it. And, you know, I'm kind of glad I did, Not, even though it wasn't great. It was, like I said, it, and it did have some interesting, I mean, you know, I took you when you were small to Niagara Falls, and, and mm-hmm. I've been the one time as well. And so it was interesting to see Niagara Falls the way it looked in 1969 when they filmed this. So that was that was a little curious, too. So anyway, um, but moving along, It Takes Two from 1988, that uh, was... Um, Oh, uh, it's um, small time, small town childhood sweethearts who uh, are about to be married, and one is uh, planning a the uh, the the male part of the uh, the pair is he's planning this big lavish. No, his his wife is rather his soon to be wife is planning the lavish ceremony. I'll get it out eventually, and she's giving a uh, the uh, the groom a pair of cold feet while this is. Uh, going on because he's really a little concerned about how much he's spending on this ceremony, I guess. And essentially the comedy springs from that uh, situation, I believe. Um, I haven't seen this film. I remember when it came out, 1988. Uh, no extras on this one, but it takes two. 
from uh, from 1988. Double Trouble from 1992, which is um, um, they say it's the most mismatched pair of identical twins since Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's about a detective and a cat burglar who are paired together to solve some crimes, and you got Peter Paul, David Paul, and Roddy McDowell, the great Roddy McDowell, and David Carradine. Um, this was in the period where David Carradine's career was obviously in a decline or a little bit of a slump. But uh, anyway, uh, Double Trouble, haven't seen that one either, but um, I don't think there are any extras on that one. Uh, I don't believe there are. And you get uh, The Beast from 1988, directed by Kevin Reynolds. This got pretty good reviews. Uh, Kevin Reynolds later would go on to direct Waterworld, of course, for uh, his good buddy, uh, Kevin Costner. And it's uh, it's about a young soldier caught in a battlefield between his conscience and his country in Afghanistan, 1981. Um, and there are no extras on this one either, except a, a VHS trailer. But uh, the review is generally good on this. Jason Patrick starring in this. Uh, Stephen Bauer, who uh, is in uh, Scarface, he plays Al Pacino's uh, good buddy in that. And so he turns up in this. And one of the Baldwin brothers, Stephen Baldwin, in this as well. After Dark, My Sweet, directed by James Foley, who would go on to do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which I have showed that to you. I have shown mm-hmm. that to you at some point. Um, this was a 1990 film for me. And I had not seen this one. And uh, Roger Ebert gave this one four stars. So he loved this one. And it's a um, a film noir but a modern, I guess you would call it a neo war yeah. as they call it. Yeah. Thriller of the erotic tensions. It's basically about a, uh, and Jason Patrick again, uh, who was, uh, by the way, he was the uh, son of Jason Miller, who played Father Kara's in The Exorcist, for anybody who <laughs> doesn't know. Uh, but yeah, he was kind of a, he's in the uh, sequel to Speed. He turns up in a really good movie uh, made around 2000, I think, uh, Your Friends and Neighbors, which I would love to see on Blu-ray, but has not, unfortunately. But that's a great movie where he, he and Ben Stiller are in, are in that, and I'm quite a fan of that one, but no no Blu-ray on that, unfortunately. But he's uh, this was pretty good. I don't think it's quite uh, deserving of a four-star review, but uh, uh, he, Jason Patrick is basically a punch-drunk ex-boxer who – gets caught in a kidnapping scheme with uh, Bruce Dern, of course, uh, Bruce Dern doing what he does best, playing a, a shifty um, character on the make, I guess you would say, trying to get rich quick scheme. And he's got this uh, plan lined up to kidnap this uh, rich guy's son. And, of course, things don't go as planned. But And you've got Rachel Ward there, who was uh, in the Steve Martin film Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and many other things. In the 80s, uh, the uh, Jeff Bridges film, all, Against All Odds, and she's was always uh, an alluring presence, I guess you would say, on screen, and this is no exception. It's a shot in Panavision, this film. It really looks good. It's a, it's a good-looking transfer, and it uh, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but uh, I would recommend it if for anybody who's a fan of neo-noir thrillers, and uh, it, it, it has its moments, and... Uh, there's a commentary here by James Foley and a uh, interview with Jason Patrick and an interview with Bruce Dern and the trailer. So uh, after dark, my sweet, uh, I, I would uh, uh, give that a, um, a, um, a, a recommendation, if not a going one. So anyway, Death Wish 4 and Death Wish 5. I don't need to say anything more about the plots on those. I think Charles Bronson doing his revenge shtick as, as it were. And the, uh, the longer the series went on, the, the the more diminishing returns we had. But if you're a fan of these films, and one of my best friends in high school was, he was a huge, huge 
uh, I remember us going to see Death Wish 3 when we were in 10th grade, the weekend that it, that it opened, or the week that it opened, I think. And uh, he he was chomping at the bit to get there. But uh, the first two were pretty good, and after that, I think it kind of, even when I was in 10th grade, I, I could tell number three was pretty bad. So, uh, and <laughs> uh, the years have not done, have not made me change my mind uh, in a more positive way either. Uh, so you get Kay Lynn, John P. Ryan, uh, Danny Trejo in Death Wish 4. Amazing, right? Uh, it's quite, quite interesting. Uh, film historian Paul, Paul Talbot, uh, who has written, he's written a book about Charles Bronson, Bronson's Loose. Uh, he does the commentary here, theatrical trailer, and the, uh, you get Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. This was 1994, actually less than 10 years before Charles Bronson passed away. So, uh, yeah, so I think it was like she passed away like seven or eight years after this. So, yep, it was the final one. And another commentary here by Paul Talbot uh, and uh, the trailer. And then you get The uh, the Train from 1964, directed by John Frankenheimer. This is... um. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a true story, but it's based on uh, it's similar to um, the premise of that movie that George Clooney did. We saw it in a theater uh, where they're trying to rescue the art from uh, the Nazis or whatever. Well, I can't, uh, what, what was what was it? Again? I can't, that's it. Yeah. 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 Somewhere. Similar premise. Yeah. Except it's uh, you got Burt Lancaster here. He's a. Uh, uh, the Allied armies closing in on the German commander and art fanatic uh, Colonel Franz uh, Waldheim, played by Paul Schofield, and he decides to steal a vast collection of rare French paintings and loads them onto a train bound for Berlin. And uh, the French patriot is a French patriot is murdered, and he's trying to sabotage this, the scheme when he is murdered. And so Burt Lancaster is a member of the resistance, and he vows to stop the train and. Yada, yada, yada. Really great film, by the way. Uh, I have it on Blu-ray. Twilight Time put it out years ago. Uh, would certainly recommend the train. And it has gotten a 4K upgrade from Kino. And uh, it, it's it's quite good. And if you're a Frankenheimer film uh, fanatic or fan, you know, he, of course, he did uh, Black Sunday and Seven Days in May, Seconds, Grand Prix. Those are a few. The Manchurian Candidate. All solid films. So uh, you get... Um, a uh, new commentary by Steve Mitchell and Stephen J. Rubin, Isolated Score, and a Trailers from Hell segment here with Brian Trenchard-Smith. And uh, there's a Blu-ray and a 4K to, together. So if you get the 4K set, you also get the Blu-ray. And then last but not least, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, directed by Michael Cimino, who would later go on to direct the Oscar, Oscar winner for Best Picture, The Deer Hunter, and, of course, infamously... Uh, uh, the uh, Heaven's Gate from 1980, which bankrupted United Artists and uh, brought the uh, 70s film era to a close as we all knew it then. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, this is a very, very good movie. And it's probably it's the only film that he made that was uh, a reasonable length, I would say, uh, because he never met a scene that he could shorten. I don't think Michael Cimino. Maybe it's because Clint Eastwood was uh, there and he kept his uh, kept him in check. I don't know. But anyway, it's a it's a very good movie. I think I showed it to you when you were younger. Uh, he's uh, Eastwood is a former thief who's uh, uh, he gets tangled up with a brash young drifter played by Charles uh, Charles Jeff Bridges. We'll get it out. Um, and um, they uh, anyway, it's it's just it's just kind of a road movie, I guess you would say. But it's 
Uh, there's a lot of action and some interesting characters here. Uh, George Kennedy turns up as a, uh, as one of the partners in crime, uh, and Jeffrey Lewis, who turns up in a lot of stuff around that time. So yeah, there's some really good character actors. You'll see Gary Busey's in this, Catherine Bach from the, uh, who's Daisy Duke in the, in the Dukes of Hazard, of course, uh, turning up in this. Uh, so yeah, you get a featurette with the director, Michael Cimino, uh, and a audio commentary by the film critic Nick Pinkerton. And so this is a 4K upgrade from the previous Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. So that covers the Kino releases, and we'll go ahead and knock out the uh, Criterions right quick. I don't know if you picked up any of these or not, but um, anyway, we'll go ahead and if, – if if you did, stop me. I'll let you talk about them. But Moon Age Daydream was a documentary on David Bowie that came out with uh, last year, and it got a lot of good reviews. I believe it might have been a uh, contender for Best Documentary Film. I can't remember. Uh, at the Oscars. Uh, nevertheless, I haven't gotten around to it yet. I wanted to. I was sent a review copy last year. Didn't get to it, unfortunately. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's a lot of never-before-seen footage here and uh, narrated by Bowie himself. And there's new commentary by the director, uh, Brett Morgan, and uh, conversation with the recording mixers and Q&A with Morgan and filmmaker Mark Romanak. So, Moon Age Daydream La Bamba. <laughs> In 1957, Ricardo Valenzuela had his family, his talent, and a dream. Rock and roll. Come on, baby, just rock. Look at my wrist. Shine like a star. I really dig your music, and I'd like to record it. Oh, by 17, You're professional man. Richie Valens. He was a star. I love you, Donna. You know, I'm still going to marry you one of these days. With three hits on the charts. Holly is lining up a plane to fly us on to Fargo tonight. Hey, come on, let's go. But one tragic night in 1959, his star fell. Not Richie! Richie! This summer, it rises again. Columbia Pictures presents La Bamba. The legend of Richie Valens. A true story. La Bamba. Biopic of uh, the life and times of rock and roll trailblazer Richie Valens, who perished in the same plane crash as Buddy Holly. And uh, you get a new interview with uh, the director of the film, Luis Valdez, audio commentary by Luis Valdez and the actor Lou Diamond Phillips and S.A. Morales, who uh, S.A. Morales playing uh, Richie's brother and Lou Diamond Phillips, of course, playing Richie. Conversation between Valdez and the filmmaker Robert Rodriguez. And there are a few other things there, too. But a good film, good solid film. Uh, I uh, I always liked it, and it's um, you know it's it's not the best bio rock biopic you're gonna music biopic you're gonna find, but it's certainly a good one. So uh, the trial, Orson Welles' um, take on the Franz Kafka novel, starring 
Anthony Perkins as a, a bewildered offer, office drone whose arrest for an unspecified crime plunges him into a menacing bureaucratic labyrinth of guilt, corruption, and paranoia. I've never seen this one either. Always wanted to. Pretty well-reviewed. Generally considered one of the brighter spots of Orson Welles' later career. Audio commentary by Joseph McBride. Documentary about the film's production. Interview with Welles. Actor Jean Moreau and director of photography Edmund Richard. And uh, and then we get The Princess Bride getting a 4K Ultra HD release. You and I watched that together a couple of years ago. Don't yep. think it quite holds up. I know this is a heresy for me to say this, but don't <laughs> think it quite holds up. Uh, yeah, I, I kind all. of enjoy it. Um, okay, you do. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an all right, you know, fairy tale kind of family movie. Um, but yeah, you, it, it came out in a, a big digi pack, I believe. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. I saw it, I saw it at Best Buy. Um, which uh, I guess we won't be seeing in the future, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly, yeah, sadly. But yeah, this is a directed by Rob Reiner. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. I just don't understand the, the cult that follows this film. I, I don't hate it. It's it's certainly you know, a good film, but it's just not. One would say the hype was a little inconceivable for. Uh, <laughs> very good. Very good. That's good. Uh, yep. I couldn't have come up with a better one myself. Yeah. So you get the uh, audio commentary by Rob Reiner and. Billy Crystal and Peter Falk and uh, William Goldman, who wrote the film, an interview with the art director Richard Holland, on-set video diary by Carrie Elwes, the actor who's in the film, and, you know, Pure Princess Bride, completist, and a uh, big fan of the film. you got to have this one. I mean, come on. So inconceivable that you wouldn't have it. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so and last but not least, Walkabout. It's about a sister and brother abandoned in the harsh Australian outback, and they meet an Aboriginal youth who helps guide them through um, through the, uh, the the forests in which they are lost. This is a terrific film, I must say. Uh, Nicholas Rogue, who would go two years later, uh, go on two years later to direct Don't Look Now, which is one of my favorite horror films, as you well know. He directed this. This was his second film. And this is a really, really good film. I have the Blu-ray from several years back that Criterion put out. Just a beautiful film uh, about this sister and brother uh, trying to find their way through the outback with the help of this Aborigine and befriending him along the way. And I just I just love this movie, I have to admit. Uh, 4K release with this upgrade, new restoration of the film, audio commentary by Nick Rogue and the actor Jenny Gutter. A documentary on the life and career of the actor David Gulphill, who plays uh, Gulp, Gulp Lil. Sorry, he's the uh, Aboriginal youth in the film. So if you haven't seen Walkabout, highly recommended, I would say. And uh, I'm sure the 4K is quite spl- quite stunning to look at. I would probably venture a guess to say. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll move along to uh, to the regular calendar titles. Uh, we'll. We'll start with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I think you saw theatrically, and I did not. And I can give you can talk a little bit, speak to that, I guess you would say, if you want yeah. to. Um, personally, I mean, I think this is probably my favorite of any of the, I guess more so contemporary Marvel um, Spider-Man iterations. Um, not a big fan of the the Tom Holland imagining or the uh, Toby, or no, I like Toby McGuire, not um, Andrew Garfield. That's the one. Um, but yeah, this uh, 
Miles Morales is just a like deeper character. Um, it's a lot more family centric, just like on his relationship with his family and um, in both films. And this one is a cliffhanger, which I don't think is a spoiler um, to anyone at this point. And it, which was kind of a bummer for me because I was, I don't like it when films use that trope. And I just felt like there was a lot of, a lot of buildup throughout the film. And then all, you were getting to this big climax and then all of a sudden it's like Spider-Man real return. So um, I have to wait how many ever years. I, I I think they were still like rendering the graphics and then with the, the writer or not the writer strike, but the actor strike. I don't know if that like halted production or anything. It probably did. So um, I think it was slated to come out next year, but it, it's probably got pushed back um, at least another year. Or so, um, but yeah, I think this is, I probably, I think I gave it about a four out of five. So, so like I said, it's more grounded in like the family emotions and just like Miles Morales um, as like a teenager, you know, that's the whole character of Spider-Man just trying to like balance his, you know, powers and like responsibility and also like just general, like growing up and, you know, kind of puberty in a sense, like he's, um, Finding, you know, uh, there's a, I can't remember exactly the character's name, but she's basically female Spider-Man. I think she's also um, Gwen Stacy, but in a different universe. So trying to balance all these things on his plate um, as a normal average person. So um, I definitely would recommend it. Um, I know, I don't know if you would be as big a fan as me, but to, to, to most people, I think it's pretty enjoyable. So. Well, yeah, I remember you being enthusiastic about it, and I, uh, I definitely want, and I, I hate to say it, I still haven't seen the other one, and I, I, I do think I would enjoy them. I, I really do. I have a feeling that it might be up my alley. I just haven't, you know, gotten gotten around to it, and it's, um, yeah. it's not, not on purpose. But, yeah. And one other thing I'll note is the, uh, just the animation style. I feel like it's very, um, it's very new and just novel, different, and I think it's definitely bled over into some other animated movies here recently and it's it's just very fresh and like reminiscent of the comics that spider-man is from so um it's very imaginative i'll say so i enjoy that aspect as well well it's good to know yeah yeah um it's a lot of pop art type yeah. style animation i think is is what i remember hearing a lot of the critics saying so yeah uh, yeah, I don't have to. I gotta get around to that, and didn't get didn't get a review copy of that one. Uh, Sony typically doesn't send me a whole lot of product; they never have. And uh, uh, you know, if they're listening for some reason, hey, you can <laughs> rectify that situation. But <laughs> anyway, so I really can't speak to uh, to the quality or anything. But I'm sure that it probably looks great. Can't imagine it wouldn't. Well, we got another title coming up that you can talk, that you can speak about as well. Sleepy Hollow was released on September fifth. Yeah. I am Constable Ichabod Crane, sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies, taken by the headless horseman taken back to hell. He rode a giant black steed to look at him. Major blood run cold. Even today, the western woods is a haunted place where brave men will not venture. We have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. You're a long way from New York, Constable. Is everything all right? 
this village enthralled to superstition? We have many things to talk about, even in this backward place. Excuse my man. I'm not used. Female company? Murder! The orphans killed again! The assassin is a man of flesh and blood, and I will discover him. Are you so certain of everything? There's a bit of a witch in you, Katrina. Why do you say that? Because you're bewitched to me. So, uh, you know, you tell us a little bit about your relationship with this one uh, from when you first saw it and what you think of the new one and all that. Yeah, so this is a film. Um, I've watched it, I don't even know how many times. I used to watch it all the time when I was probably around, I don't know, 8, 9, 10. Uh, my sister was obsessed with Johnny Depp for a period of time and she wanted to watch everything that he'd ever been in. And you got us a DVD of Sleepy Hollow. And I just remember, I guess it was like during the summer between school, um, we would just like watch it almost every day, I felt like, for a period of time. And I remember really loving it. Um, but granted, I was eight or nine. Yeah. So, um, and I rewatched it. Um, I didn't remember much about it, even though I watched it so much. I, I guess because it was more so of a thing in the background because it was more so my sister's movie and not my movie. Um, but I do remember it being a little dark and enjoying that. Um, but I will say upon watching it again, not as enjoyable. Uh, I, I will give it probably a three and a half out of five if I had to rate it. Um, there's just a few things that are almost like too Tim Burton for me. Just his like style in general is just a bit over the top. Um, it just doesn't vibe with me. So, and, and for instance, like Johnny Depp, he's like, he's this inspector that's, or, uh, constable that's come to investigate the killings in Sleepy Hollow of the Headless Horseman. And he's using all these like gadgets to like inspect the bodies of the victims and they're, they have like little claws and pinchers and it's just, it's, it's like they serve you can look at them and see that they're very impractical tools, but Tim Burton just included them because they just seem cool. And this is just one example that I can think of, but, and Christopher Walken who plays uh, the headless horseman, like a flashback, his teeth are like filed into fangs and it's just, it's a little excessive, but just small things, but just like compounded throughout kind of gets on my nerves. Um, but I do enjoy the story. I've never like read the book or anything, but it, it does keep you guessing, like I said, I don't know how truthful this is to the actual story of the book, but it does keep you guessing as to, like, who is the killer, who is, is there some supernatural element, is is perhaps someone, like, pretending to be the Headless Horseman, um, and, like, who has a motive to be the person doing these killings. So it is a, it is a good little detective story. Um, but with that being said, the, like, ending reveal is a bit lackluster and you're just kind of sitting there like, Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. But, um, it, it's definitely, like I said, and in terms of the transfer, um, I, I do personally have like a lower end 4k TV, um, that I would like to upgrade in the future, but it did look good from, from what I could tell. Um, it does have Dolby vision and my TV does have Dolby vision. So definitely got some of that out of it. And the darks look great. It's, it's got a very like, fall setting, which is one of the reasons I also want to rewatch it to kind of get in the, the spooky season mood, I guess. 
has a lot of like atmosphere uh that's created with the the darkness and just like everyone's skin just seems so pale in the picture which <laughs> and almost like almost like unhealthy or like ghost like uh which I think is what Tim Burton was going for with like his style um and I think it does add to just like I don't know the general like sickness of the town uh, it's almost like an outward reflection of that so um definitely an upgrade for my DVD so I would recommend it um but it it wasn't something I was blown away by but it it was a good transfer so and I'm sure it would look better on your projector or something higher end so um not a lot of special features this from what I can see on the back just pretty bare bones like a commentary and uh reflections I didn't get to look at any of them yet so can't speak to those but yeah definitely definitely a decent release if you're you're a fan or never seen it before yeah that's good to know i i have not seen it since probably i ran it for you you and uh, your sister when you were small and when we went through the johnny depp's phase so i <laughs> i remember but i remember my take on it being similar to what you're saying i uh, there are aspects of it i admire uh christopher lee I, any movie he's yeah. in you know, there's always bonus points for that, but uh, it just, you know, it, it didn't quite. It's there's something about it, um, those Tim Burton films after Ed Wood that just the majority of them just uh, there's something missing. I, I don't know. I, it's hard because he was on a roll, you know, with uh, those first two Batman films and Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice and Ed Wood and, and Mars Attacks is pretty good, I would say, but but. Still, it's it's lacking a little something. It's a little too trying, a little too hard sometimes. Even though I do admire things about it, um, and this was kind of you know more in the vein of Mars Attacks, I would say, in, in terms of how I how much I liked it or, or didn't. So anyway, but uh, yeah, definitely not a bad film. Let's say that. So no, I mean, definitely not by any yeah. stretch of the and imagination. I, I, and I would like to see it again. I really would. I would like to. Uh, to to watch that uh, I didn't get a review copy of this one so uh so your your uh, take on it comes in quite handy uh, since I didn't get it uh, and and I'll mention it has Michael Gambon on it as well who that's recently right. passed away yes recently lost him yes yep. star of another film of your youth the uh, the Harry Potter uh, series yep. films of your youth the Harry I, Potter. I, I actually watched the film and then 2 days later he passed away so mm. it's kind of creepy <laughs> it really is yeah it's strange how things like that happen. Well, uh, moving along, will uh, a cat woman on the a cat women of the moon from 1953, uh, the movie Amazon Women on the Moon. There's that's obviously it's a um, um, a sketch movie that I'm quite fond of, and one of the sketches is a a fake movie called Amazon Women on the Moon, and it's actually a parody of this one, Cat Women of the Moon which was re- released by Variety Entertainment in a new 70th anniversary 3D edition. I I wasn't really familiar with uh, that company but and didn't get a review copy either. But um, anyway, just wanted to mention uh, Laurel and Hardy Year One. They're apparently re- releasing all the Laurel and Hardy shorts uh, starting in 1921 and going all the way up through the 50s. And this is the first volume. This is from Flickr Alley. And so I wanted to mention that I, I hear the uh, the transfer is quite good on on these as well. They've good, done a good job with the restoration, and we'll move into uh, some Scream Factory stuff. Night of the Comet from 1984 in 4K. That's 
I don't know if you ever got around to seeing it, but I think you'd probably enjoy that. That's um, yeah. I I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about it, and it definitely seems like a movie up my alley. <laughs> yep, Comet wiping out most of life on Earth, <laughs> and leaving two Valley girls to fight the those who survive, or the evil ones who survive. And uh, yeah, the uh, generally good reviews on the picture quality and the audio. I don't think there are any new. Um, extras here. I think it's just stuff that's been ported over from the Blu-ray edition. I don't have this one, actually, and I would like to have it, so I may have to eventually just uh, pull the trigger and, and get a copy of it when there's a good sale going on or something. But Night of the Comet from 1984, and on my previous podcast, Movie Geeks United, we did a, uh, I think we interviewed uh, Catherine Mary Stewart about this film, who's the uh, star of it. And we also get Mary Warrenov in this film, which... Uh, we were at an autograph signing at Once Upon a Time, if you recall, and she gave me her phone number, and I called her at home and did an interview with her all over the phone. <laughs> so oh. uh, she was in Eating Raul. I think it was, uh, yeah, we, I wanted to talk to her uh, just about her career, and I was shocked when she said, here's my phone number, give me a call. <laughs> so, <laughs> funny how those things happen, but she's in this as well. And this might have been one of the ones we talked about. I can't remember. Anyway, Star Trek Picard, uh, the third season being issued on Blu-ray, uh, the final season it's called. Star Trek Picard, the final season. Generally getting good reviews uh, after a first two lackluster seasons of Picard, which I did not see. So, I can, again, can't talk about that. But um, uh, they say this is, this is really satisfying uh, and kind of makes up for the other two. Uh, Sony has put out in a steelbook edition, Matilda. Um, it's uh, kind of a modern fairy tale. Um, not really sure it's a, something about the uh, world from a kid's eye view with Matilda. I just know that it was directed by Danny DeVito and it starred Mara Wilson, who was a child actress who was quite popular in the 90s. And uh, the late, great Paul Rubens from, uh, turns up in this as well. I never saw this. It was... Um, I remember it playing at the theater where I was a projectionist. I was a projectionist around the time this came out, and I remember it playing that summer, and we had it, and I never got around to seeing it. I was just too busy working and haven't seen it since then. But generally, I like Danny DeVito as a director. I really like War of the Roses, and uh, his version of the, the Life and Times of Hoffa is, uh, I know it got pretty bad reviews, but or not bad reviews, but mediocre reviews, I guess you would say, but I, I like it. I, I, I have a fondness for it, and so he's He's made some uh, some good movies, and so this was. I, I would be curious to watch Matilda, but interesting that it's getting a 4K release from uh, Sony. And then The Expendables one, two, and three got 4K releases from Lionsgate. Got all those out there. Uh, and then we have My Demon Lover from uh, another Shout Factory Screen Factory release. Uh, homeless street musician uh, becomes a demon when he's sexually aroused, <laughs> starring Scott Valentine and. Uh, yeah, this is a, an 80s staple, of course, that uh, I remember when it came out, but I never saw it. It's a blind spot for me, but uh, I don't uh, I think there's a, yeah, there's some new extras here. First time ever Blu-ray release, I believe. Uh, there are some new extras. This is one, this next title is one that I did get from Arrow during the 1930s in Marseille, Marseille France. Two small-time crooks work for local crime bosses until they decide to go into business for themselves. The film is called Borsellino from 1970. And it's directed by Jacques Duray and still stars uh, John Pell. I'm gonna get my my tongue is tied. Uh, get it out of there. John Paul Belmondo and Alain Delon. 
star in this film, this crime caper. And this is a limited edition uh, that Arrow has put out. And I don't know if they've sold out, but it's generally, uh, I think it's 7.0 on IMDb. The reviews are generally good on this. Uh, I need to uh, investigate this and watch it. Just didn't, time ran out, didn't get around to it. But anyway, um, so the YouTube effect is a, uh, is a new boo, uh, film, documentary film from Alex Winter, the co-star of the Bill and Ted films, of course, along with Keanu Reeves. And yes, he does direct, uh, some interesting documentaries. And this is, this is an interesting one about, um, uh, the ascension and acceleration of YouTube and some of the changes in modern day life that it has brought upon us, both good and bad. I, I thought it was quite enlightening. And there's Q&A with the director, Alex Winter, um, and moderated by Canopy's Christian Pierce. And this is a Draft House Films release. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I would recommend seeing this. I, I don't know it's, that it's something I'd want to see multiple times, but it's definitely worth seeing at least once. And I enjoyed it and found it a little bit uh, enlightening. Black Circle is a film by Adrian Garcia Bogliano. And it's about uh, two sisters who fall under the terrifying spell of a mysterious vinyl record from the 1970s. It's a horror uh, release from Synapse Films. And you get uh, the soundtrack on a second compact disc, the commentary by the director, teaser trailer, and a short film from the director as well. But Black Circle is a uh, Synapse, and they generally do good work with their horror releases. Yeah, I think I've heard good things about that one. Yeah, I have too, and I never uh, again so I didn't get around to it. But um, anyway, uh, so Kiss the Girls has been issued in a 4K uh, upgrade here from Paramount. This is uh, for starring Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd, and this is um, you know, it's based on the uh, it's one of the Alex Cross thrillers from the James Patterson series of books, and uh, you know the, the reviews were okay. They weren't really great reviews but you know it's kind of like well it's all right and i never did get around to seeing this one when it first came out in theaters and still haven't gotten to it yet either i hate to say uh but uh yeah it's uh there's no extras on this just a 4k disc upgrade only and uh, kiss the girls morgan freeman and ashley judd and then we have ghoulies the uh it's a gremlins ripoff from 1985 <laughs> Uh, which I saw many, many years ago, but did not get a review copy of this one. That's an MVD visual release. And generally they do good jobs, uh, a good job with their stuff. And, um, you know, um, there's some new extras on this one as well. So I uh, just wanted to mention Ghoulies being issued in 4K. Uh, we have Air, the recent uh, release from, directed by Ben Affleck about the, uh, uh, the machinations behind uh, getting the Air Jordan shoe manufactured, I guess you would say. I guess it's you saw it. Yeah, I, I did. Right. Yeah, it it's was a. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I can speak to it a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was uh, a, a, it probably will end up making my top ten of the year. To be honest, um, mm-hmm. I kind of like to rewatch it because when I was in the theater, um, I was waiting to hear back from like a internship job opportunity thing. And I, my mind was not in the right place for uh, enjoying the movie. I was just thinking about that the whole time. But um, for one, I remember it was, the, I mean, it was 
it's a, it's an interesting story and kind of like an underdog story basically you know if you don't know the story nike like was in the, the garbage in the 80s um from how it was framed i'm not so sure of the history but because i didn't live it but nike wasn't doing so hot um but they you know banked everything on uh, michael jordan and obviously we know where that ended up so um it's it's definitely an interesting story and i mean the acting's good um and viola davis does a, a great job as michael jordan's mom I, I, from what i read michael jordan he had to agree to the story being um you know obviously being written and portrayed and i think his one term was the only way he would agree to the story and being made into a movie was if viola davis was playing his mom so uh, i thought that was interesting but yeah um i definitely would recommend it and like i said i would like to rewatch it i think i ended up giving it a, like a three and a half out of five but um not a bad movie by any means um yeah, I think Ben Affleck is generally a good director. Of course, I loved Argo, and I think you did too. And, and a couple of his other films, uh, earlier films, are pretty good too. So yeah, I, I, I definitely want to see this just to get around to it. Um, but yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your take on that. Uh, so Last House on the Left, the uh, remake from 2009, starring Tony Goldwyn, has been issued uh, by Arrow. It's another Arrow release, and this has. Um, some new extras, too, as well. Uh, I think it has a couple, multiple cuts of the film, I believe, on this. But, yeah, 4K for the first time for the Last House on the Left remake from 2009. Uh, Shrek the Third coming out in a 4K edition from 2007. I know you can talk about that one uh, for sure. <laughs> I, I remember liking Shrek the Third, but I think it's – obviously, I was – what would you say, 2007? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was six years old, so um... – Obviously, I, I I probably liked it more than the critics did, but from what I remember, it it did not do well critically. I think um, it's it's one of the least loved of the Shreks. Yeah, that's um, right. But it is. But yeah, I, I I personally enjoy it from what I remember, but I haven't seen it in a while, so perhaps that's one I need to revisit, or maybe I shouldn't to you know <laughs> love it, <laughs> let my opinion stay the same. Yep, you. Uh... You never can tell how these things will hold up or not. So anyway, uh, so yeah, well, Ghoulies 2 also has been issued by NBD Visual. Wanted to mention that too. Uh, should have a while ago. Didn't get around to it uh, when we were talking about Ghoulies. I lost my thread there. So Joyride, the uh, alleged comedy from this past summer. I didn't see it, so I really can't say. But supposedly it's a uh, it's a pretty funny film. Uh, I don't know if you got around to seeing it, but I uh, I did not, not, so I can't talk. Okay, well, we'll skip that. I think it's a Lionsgate release. It's out there for anybody who uh, I know they had high hopes on this being uh, the uh, the comedy that was gonna that was gonna make make a boatload of money and comedies were gonna be all the rage again and didn't happen. So yeah, yeah. this one and the Jennifer Lawrence one too. Uh, I think they both yeah, kind I think of tanked. No hard feelings. Um, the Jennifer Lawrence one you're referring to was actually like it did better than yeah, it did uh, Joy better. Than this you're right. Yeah, Joyride did not do as well. Uh, and there were a couple other ones in late summer that they were they had their ho- hopes pinned on that didn't work either. So anyway, there was several com- comedic failures that uh, they, everybody was thinking this is going to be the year of the comedy, and it didn't happen. So anyway, uh, so Halloween one and two, Rob Zombie's terrible uh, reimaginings <laughs> of Halloween. I hated uh, the first one, and I didn't even bother to see the second one. I must admit, even though I own both of them on Blu-ray, uh, they were given to me by. 
one of my listeners. Thank you. You know who you are. Uh, but I really hated the uh, first film, I must say. Uh, and didn't he bother? The, it's one of these films where he insists on showing us the Explaining backstory. Yeah. yeah. And we don't, don't need to be explained. Right. Things that don't need to be explained. So, yeah, it's it's. Um, yeah. So Kick-Ass 2 has been released in 4K. I think that's Lionsgate as well. Wanted to mention that. Um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which I did see in a theater, believe it or not, this animated Batman film from 1993. It was getting really good reviews back then, so I saw it. And I remember Mark Hamill does uh, one of the voices in it. And it, it was pretty good for what it was, I must admit. Um, really short, like 75 minutes. So you uh, you get in and get out real quickly. But it was, uh, you know... It was not a bad, not a bad uh, animated film. So we have the Irwin Allen Master of Disaster Collection. Now I had requested a review copy of this, and it never turned up. And I have not seen any reviews of this online. So I'm wondering if this set was maybe canceled or delayed or just uh, I don't know. It says that I it's think shipping. I someone I uh, follow, they they got it in, so I believe it okay. was. Uh, um, I, I didn't hear anything about it. I just they posted that they got it in. So okay, well that's curious to know. Uh, I just it's the it's the, the news has been so quiet on this, and I was just wondering because I'm not I generally figured I would have seen a review. Yeah, these are uh, not what you would consider the best films from producer Irwin Allen, the master of disaster he was known by, and uh, this was after his huge successes with the Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno. And after that, it was uh, the only way was down for uh, Erwin Allen, unfortunately. Some of these are okay. Uh, he signed a, a two-picture deal with NBC to do television films, and he did two of those, a Flood and Fire. I saw Fire when it originally aired on broadcast television on NBC in 77, and I saw it the night it premiered. And I remember liking it well enough as a kid, but then again, if it was Erwin Allen and it was a disaster, I pretty much was all in for that stuff when I was in second, third grade around that time. It was catnip for me. Uh, I saw it a couple of years ago. It's not terrible, but it's typical of TV movies of its time. And it's essentially a convict sets, uh, uh, he sets a fire uh, while they're um, on out doing some road work or something. And they, uh, he, he does that so he can escape, you know, and kind of gets out of hand. Let's say that. And the town catches on fire. You got Ernest Borgnine in that, and uh, I think Vera Miles, and I can't remember. Patty Duke is in it, I believe. So, yeah. Uh, and Flood, you know, the title says it all. It's uh, Robert Culp trying to rescue a bunch of people when a dam bursts. Uh, and then you got Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, which was his sequel to the Poseidon Adventure from 1979. And uh, that, uh, unfortunately, he insisted on directing that. And I think one of the reasons why Poseidon Adventure is great is because he didn't direct it, he was a good producer. Not so much a good directing director, and uh, he just didn't have a sense of of uh, what to do with actors or how to make things work. And uh, he was, you know, he should have stayed in his previous lane, but he didn't. And beyond the Poseidon Adventure, although it, again, not something that I totally hate, uh, but it certainly a uh, pales in comparison to the original. Hanging by a Thread, which is about a cable car, another television movie, hang, a cable car that's literally hanging by a thread. Uh, when Time Ran Out was his last theatrical disaster film. It's about a volcano. has an incredible cast. Paul Newman and William Holden and uh, Jacqueline Bissett will do a callback. We were talking about her earlier in the, the first time. She's in this as well. And 
I think that the only reason Paul Newman was in it was because he signed a two-picture deal with Irwin Allen, and the only picture he had done with Irwin Allen was Towering Inferno, and he owed him another film, so his attitude was, let's just get it over with. So, uh, And it's pretty bad. It really is. <laughs> it was... Uh, I think uh, Leonard Malton dubbed it when ideas ran out or the blubbering <laughs> inferno, I think is what he called it. But I saw this again on network television when it ran. And uh, it, I remember being kind of bored by it. And I don't think I've seen it since then. So anyway, cave in is about, again, a bunch of, uh, you know, miners trapped in a cave or something. I don't know if they're, uh, I don't know what they're doing in there, but anyway, they're caved in. And uh, the night the bridge fell down again. This is a, this was a four-hour, two-night NBC event where it's basically about a bridge that collapses, and you have all these stars and their various subplots going on. So really, <laughs> quite true. <dramatic. laughs> yeah, this is uh, if you were an Irwin Allen completist, this is certainly for you. And I would be interested in seeing some of these again after all these years, but. Uh, I just don't know that it's worth the hundred dollars that I would have yeah. paid. Yeah, so. I think it's it's definitely something I would I would be willing to watch a couple of them, but yeah, uh, yeah, price tag is a little too high for me. It's a little steep, it really is. There are two uh, multiple cuts of uh, a couple of these movies, like Beyond the Poseidon Adventure has some extra footage, and When Time Ran Out, so yeah. And the Swarm is not in this set because it was previously issued by Warner Archive. I do have that one. That's the one about the killer bees that he did in '78, which is also pretty bad but in a in a uh very funny way like the ed wood kind of way there's movies that are just so bad they're bad and then there's so bad they're kind of good and that's the swarm so <laughs> anyway uh yeah so the prodigal son is another arrow limited edition 1981 it's about a um uh it's a martial arts film um and this stars samo cam bohung who also writes and directs the film, and there's uh, quite a few uh, extras on this that they've done in this uh, limited edition. Raymond Chow is a famous producer of uh, Asian cinema, and so he produces this one as well. But this is a limited edition, The Prodigal Son from Arrow. And uh, the uh, the pack, which uh, is a, a long-requested title by many people uh, from Screen Factory, finally got this one out. It's about a remote island. Vacationers are, are 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 abandoning their unwanted pet dogs, and the dogs have to find something to eat. And so, uh, you know, when the uh, when some people uh, go to the island for uh, a visit, you know, a weekend or whatever, there's a biologist coming up with a do or die scheme that will reestablish man as top dog and or, or turn him into a nasty tidbit. It says. So, uh, but yeah, these are uh, confused, starving pets who form a rampaging pack and attack the uh, the people on the island. Essentially, is what it is. And uh, uh, Lee Gambon, who ha- was a previous guest of uh, mine on the uh, Movie Geeks United, he's an Australian commentator and uh, he does uh, video uh, featurettes and things. He's he's written quite a few really good books, and uh, Lee is a is a great source of information. He's done. He is the sole contributor of all the extras here. Uh, he did all the interviews. He did a commentary. I know he's a huge fan of this film. He's told me that many times. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the pack, Joe Don Baker is in this, who uh, played, of course, Buford Pusser and Walking Tall and many, many other things he was in. And Richard B. Scholl, you don't know the name, but you'll know the face if you see him. R.G. Armstrong. And, uh, you know, so B.B. Besh, who played the uh, the, the uh, ex-girlfriend of Captain Kirk in Star Trek II and the, the mother of his son. Anyway, uh 
Yeah, this is the pack has finally gotten its Blu-ray due. It's a mixed bag for me. It's not quite as good as you hope it will be, but you know it has its moments. So, and Rick and Morty: The Complete Series, uh, seasons one through four. I'm sorry, uh, that has been issued in a Blu-ray set. And um, so moving along, we'll just uh, run through these real quick. What's left? Uh, the Exorcist in 4K, of course. You saw that last year. I showed it to you for the first time ever, and. Uh, didn't didn't hate it, didn't love it, but you weren't quite as overwhelmed as you thought you might be. I don't yeah. I believe. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can respect it, but I guess coming from a more you know more contemporary perspective, uh, obviously there's you know this this kind of thing's been done over and over again, um, and I've seen kind of the like I said, the more contemporary films they're allowed to go the extra mile, so. Looking back at it, like I like I said, I respect it for like where it kind of you know laid the foundation for type these types of films. But um, I think hearing other people's perspectives, I would be interested to rewatch it and kind of um, look at examine other elements of the film beyond just the horror aspect because I know there's a lot going on with like Father Karras and his faith, and I didn't I wasn't really looking at that at the time. I was just watching it for you know kind of the entertainment aspect so i would be interested to go back and watch it but um yeah it's 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 a good movie just nothing amazing for me yeah not the holy grail of horror (laughs) yep a lot of people think so and certainly a a lot better than the uh the recent exorcist believer uh definitely (laughs) uh i can say that for sure uh so The Last Dragon is a Sony release on 4K. This is a cult film that uh, was, uh, I believe, produced by Barry Gordy, the uh, the uh, founder of Motown Records. And it's directed by Michael Schultz, who also did Car Wash and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and many other things over the years. Uh, he's also the director of a, of a guilty pleasure comedy of mine, Scavenger Hunt. Um, yeah, this uh, was a this sold really well. It made the top ten list, I think, uh, on uh, 4K on the 4k charts it's uh, about an evil martial arts uh it's about a young man who uh winds up fighting an evil martial arts expert and uh helps rescue a beautiful singer from an obsessed music promoter and of course there's a lot of music in this film it was uh you know it's a good way to sell a soundtrack album i get as it were so the last <laughs> dragon getting a 4k release and a lot of like i said a lot of uh, fans of this film i i have not seen it uh fall from last year about the two girls who decide to climb a tower and they get stuck up there and can't get down. And uh, it's pretty good, actually. I uh, saw that uh, when it came out and enjoyed it. It's out in 4K now. It was previously issued in Blu-ray. The Lost City of Z, starring, uh, I believe, I want to say Joaquin Phoenix was in this one, but maybe, no, that was uh, Charlie Hunnam. I'm sorry. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam, Tom Holland is in this. It's uh, based on the David Graham best-selling book of the same name. Uh, about the uh, British explorer Colonel Percival Fawcett, who disappeared while searching for the mysterious city in the Amazon in the 20s. I saw this in a theater and thought it was uh, okay. It's it's a little sluggish at times, not bad, but it's getting a 4K release and a few new extras there. Past Lives from this year, 2023. That's a uh, uh, Lionsgate release. I really like this film a lot. It's about two, two People who connected as children and then lost contact, they reconnected in their 20s, and then they reconnect a third time. And it's about, you know, just uh, the people at different stages in their lives. Uh, it got really good reviews. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the better films I've seen this year, Past Lives. And 
so yeah, I would recommend that from Lionsgate. Cocaine Bear getting a 4K release. I think you may have seen this in the theater, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, came out early in the year and got a Blu-ray, and then they now are coming out with the 4K, mm-hmm. um, trying to milk us for all we're worth. But um, yeah, it just didn't deliver enough on the the cocaine bear was my problem with the story. Um, not enough bear. I think Ray Liotta's last movie and his performance was, which maybe they were just dealing with a kind of limited footage, but also it, it, it really wasn't a great send off for him, which was kind of sad. Um, and there just was a lot of extra plot going on that didn't need to be going on. When you go to see a movie about, or movie called Cocaine Bear, you expect some cocaine bear. And just didn't really deliver on that. And the bear also didn't look that great. It was very CGI'd, and you could tell, or at least I could tell. Um, I probably gave it about a two and a half. It, was, it wasn't the worst thing I've seen, but definitely disappointing for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, uh, it seems like it can't lose when you read the premise, the uh, synopsis. It's like, how, how can this lose? And then I read the true story that it's based yeah, on. Yeah, based on the true story. And when I read the true story, I thought, why didn't they just film the real story instead of making stuff up? Uh, now, I will say there is one scene um, where these, the uh, basically a park ranger goes to her station to like call for help. Um and the bear like follows her back to her station and there's all these like tourists uh, or hikers in the station. And basically the bear like rampages the station and then uh, an ambulance pulls up and it, it's a very, it, it's the hilarious, most hilarious scene in the movie. Um, and that scene on its own is worthy of an Oscar. But aside from that, <laughs> the movie is very lackluster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I expected, so I didn't even bother with it because the, the word on the street was it's just not really it's not good. So I, I did skip it. So full confession. Uh, yeah. Well, I will say that Arrow has released Ringu, which is uh, well, later remade, Americanized by uh, Gore Verbinski, the director, uh, with uh, The Ring, of course. And uh, this, uh, you know, this is uh, basically about the, the cursed videotape, of course. I don't have to tell you that. Most people have seen it. And so, uh, but uh, yeah, getting, getting a, it's Japanese horror, of course, getting a new 4K with the HDR and all that stuff. And some, I think it's been issued previously on Blu-ray and I think they've just ported, ported over the previous extras, I think. So nothing new there in the way of extras that I'm aware of. And, uh, we'll move along to September 26. We're finishing up here. This is the last week in the month and we uh, have a, Natural Born Killers, which you and I got a chance to take a look at uh, on the uh, projector, and you can, uh, and you had seen this when you were a little younger, but uh, didn't remember it too well. So I'll let you give us your opinion on the thoughts on this, seeing it now. Yeah. Um, like you said, I'd, I'd seen it before, that honestly did not remember much about it. Um, very fast-paced, high-octane film. Um, lots going on. Doesn't really stop to take a breath but for a second um i appreciate you know the story is about you know a couple basically rampaging on committing all these crimes across the country and as these stories always go you know generally the ending there's this like big crescendo they go out in this fight and i appreciate that there is that like end battle with the cops where they get captured but 
the story keeps going and it they take him to prison and it continues for another like 40 minutes after the fact and the pacing really doesn't stop even though they're in prison so i i appreciate that it's very unique in that sense in those types of stories and another thing of note is just like the the editing of that oliver stone has he pays homage to just cinema history and they're clearly like there's scenes where they're driving in the car and they're there's clearly a screen behind them and to some people that might throw you off and but but to me it's it's just you're kind of getting in the minds of these like serial killers and there's all these like crazy things going on behind them like they're driving in front of horses they're driving in front of a train just all these sorts of things going on and it's kind of comedic in that sense but it's just trying to show you how like demented and departed from reality they are um and then in terms of the transfer it it i mean it looks stunning um i will say though that for me there are like intentional points in the film where there is like video footage like um vhs type footage of the the television broadcast and it, it's intentionally grainy and so because we're, we're supposed to be watching a tv feed so the 4k like effect isn't quite like fully apparent but i mean in throughout the whole movie you know you, you get the full k 4k effect and it, it looks great throughout um aside from those scenes but like i said that is intentional and i don't think that necessarily detracts from it uh, i did hear some people say that um in the film community but i don't think so personally and yeah definitely a oh. recommendation Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm always interested to hear your take on things that I saw when they were brand new years ago. And so this is, uh, yeah, that's always great. Uh, yeah, I thought it was good too. I've seen it many times, of course. And the interesting thing here was that the, uh, there's two cuts of the film on here, Blu-ray of the theatrical cut and, uh, a 4k of the director's cut, which is the preferred cut because they're just a couple of seconds of footage that were snipped from the theatrical version uh, because of the violence. And uh, it was thought that maybe the actual uh, negative was not present for them to do the director's cut. They might just have to, but actually they found the, uh, the negative and this was a 2023 4k scan of the original camera negative. And Oliver Stone apparently was pleased that uh, this is a shout factory release because he's working with them again on JFK, which comes out December 19th and we'll, Hopefully be able to talk about that more in a couple of months. Uh, but you get uh, some new interviews here. You get new interview with the co-editor Hank Corwin, a new interview with the producer Clayton Townsend. And then you get uh, a documentary, um, several featurettes, actually. If you watch them all together, it's close to two hours, I think. Uh, Chaos Rising and uh, Natural Born Killers Evolution, Method in the Madness. It's... Um, yeah, and then there's some deleted scenes here with the introductions by Oliver Stone. So, yeah, it's actually about close to an hour and a half, I think, or just a little over an hour of uh, the featurettes. So, anyway, uh, yeah, Shout Factory uh, doing a really good job with Natural Born Killers, and I was certainly pleased to uh, to see that in Ultra HD. And then we'll talk about another uh, 4K first that you were able to watch with me as I watched it for the first time on 4K, and that was Carlito's Way from Brian De Palma, of course. Uh, Arrow Video releasing this one. 
for the first time in I think well there may have been a universal uh, 4K I believe there was yeah, this there one was. has yeah I was thinking there was and but this is a new new packaging new a couple new interviews here with uh, I think uh, Bill Panko the editor of Carl Uta's Way is on here so I do believe that but yeah. uh, what from was, what, what I, was, yeah uh, well I was just gonna say from what I heard um the the transfer is the same from the universal uh regular 4k not the arrow oh, video okay. so and uh i also it, it's also on sale i can say so <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if you're interested in picking it up <laughs> but um in terms of my take i uh it's it's probably about a four out of five for me um it's a great you know obviously pacino performance i haven't seen um scarface in a while so i can't like speak to the comparisons there i know there's a lot of competition there between the two of them that people like to to do um but i appreciate the fact that you typically have these tropes um where you have this former criminal who like gets out and they want to reform and just live a simple life um but they never can get out of it but pacino actually like he seems very genuine and actually wanted to to do that and i feel like that's not something typically the the criminal wants to reform and then they just go back to their old habits, but he, he stays pretty consistent. And the film also just like speaks to kind of the, the like nature of luck and like circumstance that can alter, you know, your, your own predictive predicament. So I appreciate those elements. And um, in terms of the transfer, I, it, it, it was great. And the sound was great. It does it have a, a Dolby Atmos. Was that, or was that a, Natural Born kill, Killers, I can't remember. Yeah, Natural Born Killers have the Dolby Atmos. I think okay. uh, I don't have the specs with me in front uh, in front of me with Carlito's Way. Well, it it sounded good either way. Um, but uh, what, two things that stood out to me in terms of, like, the transfer, there, there's some scenes where there, Pacino's on the water and uh, his character's, like, trying to help out a friend, uh, doing some dubious activities if you haven't seen the film. And just it's a very, like, dark, setting and there's all this fog but you could make everything out um just look great and then also much of the film takes place in the nightclub and there's just all this detail like you can it, it seems like you can almost make out like the labels on the alcohol and the bar behind um so just yeah i mean i thought it looked great i have to agree i thought it did too yeah it's uh i've seen it many times again saw it the weekend that it opened in theaters way back when and uh still holds up Still enjoy it uh, quite a bit. A lot of the directorial flourishes that you expect from a De Palma movie. It's him operating on all cylinders, I think. And so, uh, yeah, for sure. Well, we will move on to School of Rock, uh, the hugely successful film starring Jack Black uh, and directed by Richard Linklater. And I know a lot of people love this film. I'm lukewarm on it, I have to admit. Um, It's just... Uh, a lot of too much improvisation going on, and uh, I'm generally a fan of Mike White, the obviously the creator of The White Lotus, and generally his stuff appeals to me. Brad Status, of course, being one of my favorite films from a couple of years ago, and uh, he wrote and directed that. But this was, I don't know, it just the combination of Mike White and Richard Linklater and Jack Black, it just didn't, it just seems a little too formulaic for me. People love it, I know, but... Uh, you know, it's just not one of my favorites. But it's out in a 20th anniversary limited edition Blu-ray set. 
Uh, and uh, the uh, special features that were previously issued have been ported over. Uh, that's um, there's nothing new here, I don't think. But uh, uh, if you're a fan of School Rock, well, you know it's it has been uh, reissued in a new Blu-ray steelbook. And speaking of extras, I meant to mention a while ago with the ex with the Exorcist. Uh, if you've got to uh, if you buy the 4K, do not expect to get the extras on the uh, disc because they are not there. There's nothing there but the film and an introduction to the film, two cuts of The Exorcist, but no extras on the actual disc. You have to uh, get them from your digital code or hold on to your old Blu-ray because uh, they just didn't put them on there. So Yeah, I was going to say, I, I did hear from some, of, some other people in the community, I'm like about 80% sure that the digital code does come with the extras. So you don't get them on the physical release, but you, yeah. you do get them in the cloud somewhere. So. Sure people know. Yeah, that's right. Halloween H2O getting a 4K release from Paramount. No extras here at all, just the film. You can talk about this one, I guess, too, because we watched it a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was only a couple of years ago, but I'm going to be honest. I don't, it, it kind of was a blur, which Spanish. I think speaks to the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, from what I remember, it was just probably about a two and a half, like LFI, middle of the road. Um, yeah. I do remember there's one scene with a um, garbage disposal where someone sticks their hand down to like clean it, and you think it's gonna go one way, but it doesn't. It's kind of disappointing. So yeah, that's all I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely you know just not uh, one of the better films in the Halloween, and they uh, you know they made a big deal out of it. Jamie Lee Curtis was returning, but you know we all know the Halloween films make no sense after number two because they shoot out his eyes and they set him on fire and yet he comes back that just doesn't you know so i don't know it just didn't work for me i didn't think it was that good and uh it just doesn't you know if you're a fan and you're a completist and you got to have it in 4k well there it is no extras or anything but you know uh anyway this next title is a uh screen factory title my bloody valentine getting a 4k upgrade with both the uncut version and the theatrical version and uh, this is a new scan of the original film elements, I think, uh, the negative, I believe. But the reviews on this say it is a spectacular transfer. I have the old uh, Blu-ray of My Bloody Valentine from a couple of years ago that Screen Factory put out. And uh, it looked quite good. But this one, uh, they say, even bests that one. So there's no new extras that I'm aware of. But if you want a really nice upgraded transfer of My Bloody Valentine, just wanted to mention that that is available uh, for you fans. And I still know what you did last summer came out in 4K as well. That's from Sony, uh, the sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer. I don't think I have to elaborate on that, but if you're a fan of that, uh, it's there. Uh, the Fifth Element also coming out in 4K from Sony, as well as uh, a Blu-ray edition of Insidious, The Red Door, and a limited edition reprint of Ghostbusters 1 and 2, uh, in 4K, so those are some uh, some titles that you get from Sony. Uh, Arnold is a Vinegar Syndrome release that uh, I, I do wish I had. Uh, I may pick this up when it's on sale because I saw this years ago and it's it's quite good. It's made in 1973 and it's he's a scream. He really took care of his family. Arnold gave his bride a honeymoon she'd never forget. Heaven have mercy on my soul. All it takes, I suppose, is a bit of dust enough now and then. Arnold gave his widow some vanishing cream. 
That goo was a real wrinkle remover indeed. <laughs> Arnold gave his brother a brand new suit. His buttons is all that was left of him, poor chap. Arnold gave his sister a room of her own. When you're a skilled criminologist like myself, it's as plain as a nose on your pretty little face. Arnold gave his unfaithful wife and her handsome lover togetherness. See Stella Stevens, Roddy McDowell, and Arnold in Arnold. You'll die laughing. Rated PG. It's about a, a gold digger who marries a, a, a man at his funeral and continues to get his money as long as uh, she stays by his coffin. And there's all kinds of oddball relatives after his wealth, and uh, they're 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 killed in a creative uh, a bunch of creative ways in the film. And I just really thought this was kind of clever, actually. And it's Roddy McDowell, Stella Stevens, uh, Elsa Lanchester, who actually played the Bride of Frankenstein in the 1935 film. She's in this. Uh, Victor Buono is one of my favorite character actors. Uh, always like him. So it's a it's a real fun movie from what I recall. And um, I'm and it was. Never released on DVD or Blu-ray, and now getting its first ever disc release, Arnold, from 1973, a Vinegar Syndrome release, and I would like to have that, actually. So, I must say, and getting ready, uh, getting down to the last couple here, we've got Tenebrae, the Dario Argento film from, oh, this is, uh, let's see what the year release is, I forget, 1982, and it's about a mystery author played by... Uh, Tony Franciosa, who comes to Rome to promote, promote his newest novel, and uh, he finds himself uh, on the trail of a razor-wielding psychopath, as you do in a lot of these Dario Argento films. This is uh, get you get a new 4K transfer of this, and mostly previously released previously released extras, including audio commentary by Maitland McDonough, uh, and uh, feature-length documentary charting the. Uh, genre of the Giallo film from its beginnings to its influence on the modern slasher film. And there's a archival interview with um, Maitland McDonough as well and uh, archival featurettes and uh, just a lot of goodies here. So if you're a fan of Tenebrae, Dario Argento's Tenebrae from 1982, uh, it, uh, and this is from Synapse, again, Synapse Films. Uh, and um, got a Cohen Media Collection, uh, two, a double feature, rather, Douglas Fairbanks, two uh, silent films, I believe these are. Um, these are The Black Pirate and Robin Hood. And these are two from the um, 1922 and 1926, yeah, on this double feature. So, uh, yeah, Douglas Fairbanks in those two films from Cohen Media. And I think there's like an interview here or something... Um, yeah, audio commentary and 18 minutes about takes. So, and then you have the girl from Rio, starring Shirley Eaton, George Sanders, and Richard Weiler, one of the Jess Franco films. Uh, and if you like Jess Franco, fine. If you don't, you know who you are. But uh, he does have his following. And this is in the tradition of Barbarella and Danger Diabolique comes the swinging 60s action orgy as bisexual supervillain Sumeru launches a diabolical plan to enslave the male species with an army of lusty warrior women. And The Girl from Rio comes to uh, 4K for the first time from Blue Underground with a new commentary by Nathaniel Thompson and Troy Howarth. And uh, new interviews as well, new additional scenes from the German version, a Rift Tracks edition. So, uh, you know, you've uh, got quite a lot to choose from. Uh, the Girl from Rio. I hear the transfer is pretty good on this one, too. So, yeah, and... 
Uh, we have a DVD documentary here. It's on DVD only from Kino, uh, but it was sent to me, and I actually watched it. It's a documentary on Joyce Carol Oates, the author from Stieg, uh, directed by Stieg Bjorkman, who has written several bios on uh, Woody Allen, and it's uh, it's called Joyce Carol Oates: A Body in the Service of Mind, and it's pretty interesting. She's an an incredibly prolific author who's written some really great novels over the years, and it's just uh, it's a 90 minute uh, documentary that uh, gives you a little overview of her life, and you know it's not. The best thing I've ever seen, but it's if you don't know anything about Joyce Carol Oates, it's I, I enjoyed it um, for what it was. Cats Don't Dance from 1997 is a Warner Archive release. It's an animated film that uh, failed pretty spectacularly upon its original release, but now has a cult following. Uh, that has been issued by Warner Archive. And we have Saratoga from 1937 starring Clark Gable and Gene Harlow. And we have Westward, Westward the Women from 1951. Those are your Warner Archive releases for October. And uh, we're getting down to the very end of it. I just want to make sure I haven't missed anything here. Fright Night has gotten a reissue on 4K. It was in a steel book originally from Sony, and I think it went out of print. And now it's back in print, so I wanted to mention that. As well, and I think that takes care of the September 2023 Blu-ray and 4K releases. Oh, one more Elemental has been issued in 4K. Maybe you can speak to that one. I think you saw that one in a yeah. theater. Yeah, I did. Uh, and I actually rewatched it two weeks ago with my girlfriend, so um, I've watched it twice this year. Um, although it's not my favorite movie, but it is a very um, probably the best Pixar movie. Uh, I don't know since when, but it's the best Pixar movie in recent memory for me. Um, I mean, it's essentially a animated rom-com about fire and water having a relationship. And it's, it's pretty short from what I remember, maybe like an hour and 40. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good, good paced story and just, I mean, a good family movie. And there's, there's also a lot of, not a lot, but some subtext on like immigration and just like oppression sprinkled in there and um, some subtext on that cultural aspect as well. Although it's a, a romance, like I say, so there's there's a decent amount to unpack there. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good, lighthearted um, short film. So I enjoyed it. Very good. Good to know. Yeah, I, I um, it's a Disney release, of course, and I don't get a lot of their review copies, uh, so uh, just haven't seen it yet, but hopefully eventually. Yeah, but um, yeah, well, thanks for your take on that. Well, I do believe that covers all of the September 2023 releases. Mm-hmm. 